episode is brought to you by the Read Harder Journal. Created by Book Riot, this smartly designed reading log consists of entry pages to record stats, impressions, and reviews of each book you read. Evenly interspersed among these entry pages are 12 challenges inspired by Book Riot's annual Read Harder initiative, which began in 2015 to encourage readers to pick up Passover books, try out new genres, and choose titles from a wider range of voices and perspectives. Indulge your inner book nerd and read a book about books. Get a new perspective on current events by reading a book written by an immigrant. Find a hidden gem by reading a book published by an independent press, and so much more. Each challenge includes an inspiring quotation, an explanation of why the challenge will prove to be rewarding, and five book recommendations that fulfill the challenge. That's the Read Harder Journal. Go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal for yours today. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 190, and today we are talking about books being released on January 8th, 2019, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello! Happy New Year! Happy New Year! I think we're in Blade Runner year. (laughs) Is it? Are you dressed appropriately? Definitely not. I'm so glad this is not video. I did not dress properly for the occasion at all. Oh. <laughs> Gotta oh, right. go find myself like a sci-fi unitard. Oh, uh, yeah. Like a see-through raincoat and yes. some crazy spiky hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can manage the hair part. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll like go halfway. Yeah. <laughs> a I- lot of neon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Hi. Hi. <laughs> How were your holidays? Oh, they were good. They involved a lot of kitty snuggles and a lot of cake. So I feel like I won um, at life. How about you? Good. Yeah. Very quiet. Very Mm. quiet this year. Um, I went to print and wrapped books for them the day before Christmas. That was fun. Yes. But I realized that really they wanted me there because they knew I would buy a whole bunch of books. (laughs) Those tricksy hobbitses. (laughs) Ulterior motives revealed. Yeah. So I came home with like a huge stack of books. (laughs) Merry Christmas to me. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun. Um, So we're here to talk about books. Imagine that. I know. Um, I sort of ended 2018... Uh, in a dark period of my life. Yeah. Uh, and have just sort of embraced my dark side. Mm-hmm. Basically, like, I've grown scales and a forked tongue. Oh, uh, I'm bringing that look into the new year. I might bedazzle my carapace, but, you know. Um, <laughs> Start so, as you mean to go on, Liberty. <laughs> yes, that's right. So a lot of these books are very dark. Although I have to say, I realize I read almost all of these at least four months ago. So I can't, I don't really have an excuse. <laughs> I just like dark books. I'm going to start... The first recommendation of the year with a book that covers an event that takes place as sort of ritual. So it's kind of like, you know, first this, first that. It's called The Ghost Wall by Sarah Moss. It's fantastic. It's about a 17-year-old girl named Sylvie. She is on a two-week anthropology course expedition uh, in England with her parents, where they are going to reenact how people lived 2,000 years ago. Basically, like, they're reenacting the Iron Age. Um, there's, they're camping out near a bog. It's her and her parents and a professor and two students. Um, her parents, uh, her father is a bus driver. He's not a good man. He's racist. He's sexist. He's also obsessed with history, especially the Iron Age period. And Sylvie is actually short for, um, Silvana, I think it was, uh, the name of a, a woman who was alive back in the Iron Age. 
And um, along with her father, there is her long-suffering mother, uh, who, like I said, her father is not a good man, so his, he does not treat her or her mother very well. Um, and they're, like, her father's completely into this. Like, they have to wear, like, scratchy tunics, and they're sleeping in a hut and on this, like, hay, and she's, like, laying there, and she's like, am I getting ticks and fleas? And, you know, but they're both afraid of her father, so they went along for this. And she's also fascinated by the professor... And there's uh, two young men and a young woman who are with him, his students. And so she she's, like, dreaming of getting away from her life. And so, like, she's getting a glimpse of, like, these college students and also just what it means to be, like, older and get away from your parents. Um, so, you know, she's, like, putting up with all this, but she's not really into it. Um, her poor mother is having a miserable time. You, you can tell, like, she just doesn't care about anything anymore. There's a part where she's cooking over a fire that the students have made and Sylvia is telling her, you know, like, uh, that, that fire was put together with granite stones. You, they, there's a chance that they could explode because of the water inside. You know, you should, you should move away from that. And she's like, I just really don't care. You know, she's just a poor woman. Um, and so Sylvia starts to befriend Molly, the young student, and she's quite taken with her. You know, she's very, Molly's very glamorous. She's beautiful. She's like sunbathing naked. And Sylvia is just completely enamored by her. And Molly also has no patience for Sylvie's father. Like, she sort of butts heads with him because she knows that he's not a good man. And she can stand up to him, whereas Sylvie can't. And as the days go on, the tempers start to flare, and the madness grows. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But um, if And when you're reading this, I, I do want to give a trigger, trigger warning for physical abuse. Like I said, her father is not a good man. Um, but this was just sort of a, a creepy, fun... Uh, you know, history, but in the present day sort of book. And it didn't end how I expected it to, which I always enjoy. So, again, it is called The Ghost Wall, and it is by Sarah Moss. Interesting. I might actually want to read that. Um, I like it's this. really short. It's like 130 pages. 130 oh, like pages. a novella-style thingy. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Iron Age is very interesting. Um, although I, I would not want to reenact it. Not gonna lie. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> um, my first book is also on the darker side, but it is a memoir that I really, really loved. It's called All the Wild Hungers, A Season of Cooking and Cancer. It's by Karen Babine. And this book is also actually very short, like 180-something pages. It's a shorty. Um, It's so good. And it's really intense because, as you can tell from the title, it is about dealing with cancer in the family. Um, The author's mother, um, who's in her 60s, I want to say, is diagnosed with a form of cancer that generally children, like small children, get. So it's very rare in adults. and it's very out of the blue. And uh, so Karen, who is like, you know, a vegetarian and like very close with her family and also a writer um, and, and a like devoted, you know, amateur cook um, is there to support her mother and, you know, the rest of her family through this. And she starts, you know, trying to cook things that her mother might actually want to eat because the chemotherapy that they have to do after the surgery is just so rough on the appetite and on the body. Um, and so she's like, you know, they, it's, it's part of the pitch that she She's a vegetarian cooking for like a meat eating family, but it's actually much less about sort of the actual like politics of food and way more about these family dynamics. And it's really beautiful. Um, the weird, the, like the counterpoint to this is that her sister is pregnant, um, 
And so, like, while there's this new life coming into the world, they're all terrified for their mother. Like, is she going to, you know, is the surgery going to be successful? Is she going to make it through chemo? So um, if that is like, like, I would not recommend this book to somebody who's necessarily like just received a diagnosis for themselves or in their family. But if you've been through um, dealing with cancer, I think you and like are out the other end. I think it would be very good to read because she just she's really honest and open about, you know, the feelings that she's struggling with and what it's like to watch somebody go through this and sort of the helplessness and lack of control that you have and the ways that you try to, you know, do what you can. Um, And... And I just and I just loved it too because it is such a foodie book. Like she she goes to uh, thrift stores and tries to find um, like you know Le Creuset and other really amazing stoneware and Dutch ovens and cast irons. And then she brings them home and rehabs them and cooks out of them. So each essay is sort of about, or each chapter rather, I guess, is sort of about her cooking a thing in a very specific type of cast iron. Um, and and that is just. Beautiful beautiful like oh man there were moments in this book where I my mouth was just watering um listening to her talk about making these like special Scandinavian pancakes or like making broth or you know whatever um and it's also very joyful in moments because she has young nieces and nephews and they make cameos and so there's there's light spots um but it is a very intense book about illness and how we eat and what we can do for our family and what we can't do for our family um so I think it would appeal to a lot of folks who enjoy foodie writing. Um, I think it also, obviously, if you've dealt with cancer, like this is going to speak to your experience as well. Um, but definitely like it might be triggering for somebody who's newly diagnosed or like in the grips of it, like it might be too much. Uh, but she's an amazing writer. I definitely want to read more of her work. Um, she just writes really, really beautifully. So again, that's All the Wild Hungers, A Season of Cooking and Cancer. All right. And that means it's time for our first sponsor. Yes. <laughs> it is Just Once by Lori Handeland. Um, and this is a book that spans over four decades and goes from Vietnam to Washington, D.C. during the AIDS crisis and on to the present day. Just Once tells the story of two women who love one man and how they come together when he needs them the most. It's a novel of love, betrayal, and forgiveness. And it asks the questions, what would you do if you were forgotten after 20 years? And what would you do if you are the one who is remembered. So in the opening, uh, Frankie Sakari is roused from sleep one night by a key rattling in her door, and it is her ex-husband, Charlie, who she hasn't seen for nearly a quarter of a century. And even weirder is he seems to think they are still married, and he does not remember his current wife, Hannah. And when his medical tests reveal shocking results, Frankie finds herself reluctantly caring for a man who left her 20 years ago, while his current wife, Hannah, is relegated to the sidelines. Um, Lori is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of more than 60 works of romantic fiction and a multiple winner of the prestigious Rita Award. This is her debut novel in women's contemporary fiction, and it is a book that she felt that she had to write. So that's a pretty intense premise. What would you do if your ex-husband of 20 years ago showed up? And what would you do if you were his current wife and he like went looking for his previous ex? Like That's, a, that's an intense premise. Uh, so if that sounds like it's going to ring your bell, check it out. It's just once by Lori Handeland. Thank you for sponsoring the show. It's making me want to cry. I know. Already. It's, it's <laughs> a tearjerker like, for so sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, moving on to something completely different. 
My next pick is Mouthful of Birds, stories by Samantha Schweblin, translated by Megan McDowell. And you might recognize Samantha's name. She wrote Fever Dream, which I read a zillion times. It's such a strange little book and so upsetting, and I didn't quite understand what was going on, and I loved every second of it. Uh, and this collection of stories is mm, just as distressing, <laughs> also just as clever and morbidly funny. Um, except, in I would say, in these stories, I understand them a little bit better. Like, what is actually going on, it's less like, this is just weird supernatural stuff, and more like, this is just weird stuff happening. Um, there are 20 stories, and I think, like, the longest is, like, 13 or 14 pages. Um, and it's just full of bizarre happenings and bad behavior. Uh, the title story, Mouthful of Birds, is about a young girl. Uh, her father gets a call one day from his wife and says, you have to come get your daughter because, you know, come over and see. And she is eating live birds. Um, the second, let's see, though the first story was about uh, brides who are abandoned at a rest stop, and they kind of, like, gather together in this area, and, and there's an uprising. Um, there's one about a girl who thinks Santa Claus slept at her house. Uh, there's one about a man who kills his wife and then it is hailed as an artist instead, which is really infuriating to him. Um, they're so strange and... I just, I loved them. Because, like, the, really the heart of all these stories, you know, they're satires, like, about you know, sexism and oppression and lots more things that people smarter than me will pick up on. Um, and I, because it takes me a long time to get to these things sometimes, I realize, like, what I really love about weird fiction is that it's, like, the comfort of knowing that this kind of stuff isn't going to happen, right? Like, mm. like something's not going to crawl out of my mouth, most likely, um, you know, <laughs> you know, but I also delight in imagining that something like the, like that could happen or like what she's describing could happen, you know, like that's what I love about it. Like, like we are safe in knowing that these things aren't, aren't real, but like imagine if they were like, Ooh, so I just, I love her. So again, it is called Mouthful of Birds, stories by Samantha Schweblin, translated by Megan McDowell. One of these days I have to read her. Amanda talked a bunch about Fever Dream um, oh, on Get Book 2, and I just, one of these days, I'm going to get to it. I do love weird fiction. <laughs> Although Again, you, very small book. I don't know. Apparently 2018 is going to be the year of discussing little books. I mean, I was just <laughs> going to say, actually, my next pick is also a novella. It's very <laughs> short. Um, this one is like 100 pages, digital only. It's a Once Ghosted, Twice Shy by Alyssa Cole, and this is a much more cheerful pick. Uh, so if you were getting a little down, do <laughs> Don't worry, I have you covered. So this is an installment in the Re Reluctant Royals series by Alyssa Cole, which I am obsessed with. Um, the first book was so great. I loved it so much, Princess in Theory. And I loved the second book, Duke by Default. And I cannot wait for the third book, A Prince on Paper, to come out, which is soon. But if you read the first one, or even if you didn't, um, I think you will really enjoy this novella. It features Likot who was the aide to the prince in the first book. So her job is literally to make somebody else's life easy and manageable. So she's super organized and she's also very fashionable and is just like really put together in all ways all the time. Um, and in the first book, you sort of see her on the sidelines and you know that she's been dating somebody, but it ends badly. And I remember finishing that book and like, 
yelling at Alyssa Cole on the internet that like I needed to see Lakotsi get her happy ending and happily she had already planned to write a novella for this. So this is that novella and she's back in New York City um, you know with her job with the prince um, and she runs into the woman who dumped her in like six months ago and cannot resist getting back together with her and Fabiola who is the person she was dating is just like oh man like you don't even know why I ditched you and it's really hard for me to talk about it but like I would love to spend some time with you so the book is about you know second chances and um trying to let go of past hurt so that you can move forward, but also trying to be honest with somebody when, you know, the story that you, the the thing that has affected your life is not just about you. Um, Fabiola had this really intense family situation happen and just like couldn't deal with dating anyone or doing anything at the time. Um, and so I don't want to spoil any more of the specifics, but it's a romance novel. So you can probably guess what happens. And I just love this so much. It's, it takes place in New York city and it has such a vibe to it um they go on this like epic you know sort of journey around this these little hidden corners of new york city and i love the characters so much and their banter was so good and ugh, i just Alyssa cole is one of my favorite romance authors and this this novella is just a total delight uh so that is once ghosted twice shy so uh two things yeah. one this this series is becoming um TV series? Movie? Is that true? <gasps> Is that true? Did I miss I, that? I feel like I heard oh that. My God, I feel like I reported that in Book Raider, but maybe I didn't. Maybe I'm just making it up. No, I mean, that would be amazing. <laughs> And, and the other thing is that if you are sad because it is digital only, don't be sad for too much longer because it's out in mass market on February 19th. Oh, good. Good, good, good. So, um, yeah. Right. I'm I ready think, to, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I. I can't remember now if I just dreamed that a Reluctant Royals adaptation like was happening or if it was really happening. But either way, maybe I'm she just sold the rights. Oh, that maybe. doesn't always that doesn't always mean. Yeah, yeah, things. it takes but a while. But I feel like it did. I'll look into that and let you know. Please do. All right, so now getting back to you know completely down. Um, <laughs> my next pick is The Water Cure by Sophie McIntosh. This was long listed for the Man Booker Prize. It is about three sisters who are raised on an island by their parents. The specifics of their situation are kind of vague. They're living in an abandoned hotel. Um, how they got to be there, kind of vague. The truth of what their parents are telling them about what is going on outside of on the mainland is sort of like, is it true? Is it not true? Um, basically, their father has sort of surrounded the islands with a wall, like with barbed wire. He's, he wants to protect them from the world. And they are taught to fear men. They are told that men are, you know, violent and terrible and literally toxic, so it would be horrible if you were to ever encounter one. And this is how they grow up. And then one day, their father disappears. So you know that eventually something's going to happen. And it turns out that these three men wash up at, on the island and make their way to their home. And so now the sisters are terrified, but they're also wildly curious because they've never seen other men. And so as the situation unfolds, you know, they learn that they're not actually toxic, but should they trust them? You know, what should they believe? Um, and, and basically also the environment that they're growing up in is just as dangerous. Um, there's trigger warnings for sexual assault, self-harm, 
Um, you know, these girls are, are, you know, they have an abusive parent who is like, is maybe he had his best intentions for them, but you know, they've been kept away from the world and told things that might not be true. Um, it's so I'm trying to come up with the best way to describe it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like VC Andrews wrote the Virgin Suicides. It's Whoa. just, it's like dramatic and was that, was that a whoa? Like that sounds great. Or like that just sounds bananas. I don't know. I think that's um, a bananas. Whoa. <laughs> it's like a Gothic feminist dystopia. I'm, I'm, we need more books to compare feminist dystopias to besides The Handmaid's Tale now. Well, true that. Like, can we find, like, something else? It's a little bit like Gather the Daughters, which I talked about a couple of years ago. Um, it's wild. It's great. It's The Water Cure by Sophie McIntosh. And that brings us to our last sponsor. It is The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. And the plot goes like this. She possessed a stunning beauty. She also possessed a stunning mind. Could the world handle both? Her beauty almost certainly saved her from the rising Nazi party and led to marriage with an Austrian arms dealer. Underestimated in everything else, she overheard the Third Reich's plans while at her husband's side, understanding more than anyone would guess. She devised a plan to flee in disguise from their castle, and the whirlwind escape landed her in Hollywood. She became Hedy Lamar, screen star, but she kept a secret more shocking than her heritage or her marriage. She was a scientist, and she knew a few secrets about the enemy. She had an idea that might help the country fight the Nazis if anyone would listen to her. Hedy's story is a conversation starter about women's roles in society, as well as women who pursue careers in STEM, math and science, professions. Although a fiction-based story inspired by the life of Hedy Lamarr, author Marie Benedict, who also wrote Carnegie's Maid and the other Einstein, conducted extensive research to add authenticity to the story. Hedy Lamarr, I'll always read about Hedy Lamarr. Her story is amazing. She was just incredible. So again, that is called The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict, and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's available now wherever books are sold. Nice. Let's see. Um... Well, no, I don't have a segue. I was trying to get, I don't have a segue at all. Well, like badass ladies. Oh, yeah, there you go. Badass ladies. Speaking of badass ladies, um, <laughs> my next pick is Slayer by Kirsten White. And this is, y'all, I have been waiting for this book since it was announced. Um, it is the first of a new series of Buffy the Vampire Slayer world novels. And it is about a girl named Nina who has a twin named Artemis. And they are the daughters of a watcher couple. Um, and this book picks up after the end of um, the uh, end of season seven finale, right? Season seven is the finale where they get all everybody gets the Slayer power spoiler. 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 <laughs> yes. Spoiler for a TV show that's been over for like 20 years. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this, I can never remember because they called the comic like Buffy season eight. And in my head, I'm like, okay, so were there seven TV series or was there more? Um, but this picks up at the end of the TV series. I do not believe, I don't know actually, cause I haven't read the comics, how much it takes into them, uh, in, how much it takes them into account. But it stands alone just fine, um, however immersed you are in the Slayer world, because it's sort of a totally separate cast of characters. Um, Buffy makes like a cameo, but it's only in a dream, and you don't really get to hear from her much. So Nina and Artemis like were born and raised in like watcherdom, and it was really, they lost a lot of friends and family when all of the watchers got blown up by the first. Um, and so now they're teenagers, there's like 
barely any Watcher folks left, and they've been in hiding, trying to, you know, just stay alive. Um, and they're aware of what has happened with all of the different potentials, but they haven't really been dealing with it. And then one day, a demon attacks the secret castle in Ireland, where they are, and Nina, like has this weird feeling, like something strange happens to her. She's not sure what, but she gets splashed with demon goo, which is never good. Um, and then a few months later, she starts to manifest Slayer powers. And all of these things start happening. These hellhounds are, like, chasing people around the castle, and a demon shows up in her friend's shed. And um, also there's, like, a ring of, like, fighting, like, ring of vampire zombies in the local city uh, where they are Ireland and Nina has been raised her whole life to be a medic um, like she's learned how to heal people so she's really sort of wigged out that suddenly she seems to be super good at killing people and she has to make all of these decisions about her new powers and where she fits in to a world that now she sort of doesn't know her place in and her twin in the meantime who's like been raised to like have combat skills and all of this stuff like doesn't know how she fits with her anymore so she's struggling to figure out like who is she in part as part of her family who is she as part of this watcher society and who does she want to be and it just really i think it i think kirsten white really captured the feeling especially of early seasons of buffy where it's all about you know you're handed this power and you don't want it and high school is already hellish being a teenager is already hellish and like how do you deal with that how do you figure out who you are when there are all of these expectations and some people are telling you to be one way and some people are telling you to be another like that is sort of the like white hot core for me of what Buffy is all about and I feel like Kirsten White is a super fan as well and like gets that and that's what she's dealing with here um I really enjoyed it I thought it was so much fun it is told in first person present, which I know some people don't love, but I thought it really worked for this. Um, and I also, I don't know, I just found it super enjoyable. I'm always down for more adventures in like the Slayer verse. And I thought Nina's arc, because she, when it just starts out, she's, I mean, she's a little bratty, not going to lie. Like she's got reasons to be bratty, but she's kind of bratty. But watching her grow as a person and like grow in understanding about how her world works was really awesome. And this is the first in a series. I will definitely be reading more of them. Um, so yeah, so that's Slayer by Kirsten White. Buffy fans alert. You should go get it. Awesome. When you said that demon just appeared in the shed, I, I just imagine it being like, this is the worst Airbnb I've ever <laughs> stayed in. Like, what happened? And then, like, can you imagine that <laughs> review? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they left demon goo all over the place. <laughs> That's weird. Okay, moving on. Um, so, now I've saved my, my most depressing, <laughs> powerful read for last. It is An Orchestra of Minorities by Chigozi Obioma. And he wrote The Fisherman, which we all loved at Book Riot. So, so good. This is also a tremendous novel, and it's much heavier than The Fisherman, if you can even imagine that being possible. It is. It's about a Nigerian poultry farmer, Chinonso. He one day comes across a woman on a bridge, Nadali, and she's going to jump, and he talks her down. Um, the two fall in love, but Chinonso is very poor. 
which is completely unacceptable to Nadali's family. They consider themselves his betters, and they're not going to let their daughter marry a poultry farmer. So he is so in love, he will do anything to be with Nadali, so he sells everything that he has and heads off to college. Uh, those plans do not work out, and as time goes by, his dream of marrying Nadali is getting harder to realize and getting farther away. It's a story about love and determination, but also about dreams. Like, how long do you chase your dreams? Um, as Tom Robbins says in Still Life with Woodpecker, how do you make love stay? You know, like, is she going to wait for him? Um, and it's it's beautiful and amazing and also very heavy. Trigger warnings for sexual assault, suicide, just horrible tragedies. Uh, oh, oh, I buried the lead. Um, it's narrated by Chinunso's Chi, his guardian spirit. So it gives it a very different narrative style than The Fisherman. Mm. But it's just so incredibly powerful and heartbreaking. Two great tastes that taste great together. Um, so <laughs> that is... An Orchestra of Minorities by Chigozi Obioma. Nice. Um, my last pick is not a new book, but it is new to me, and it was the first book I read in 2019, so I feel like it counts. Um, and it is Pride by Ibi Zaboy. I have been wanting to read this since I first heard it announced. It is like a YA retelling of Pride and Prejudice set in Bushwick. Amazing. Um, which is a neighborhood in Brooklyn uh, that is very, like is being gentrified, but is, you know, has traditionally been very um, diverse and, you know, mostly folks of color rather than the white folks. Um, and so I've been wanting to read it for forever. And then it was picked, I think, for like a romance read, an internet romance read in December. And I, my 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 library copy didn't come in in time, but oh, that's no. okay because it was a great first read of 2019 for me. I'm so excited um, to have it. And, and it was was really fun. I'm a huge Jane Austen fan and it was really cool to see E.B. Zaboy reinvent this and like sort of use the pieces of Pride and Prejudice in ways that were recognizable to me as a fan but also she's sort of it's like a remix like a really good remix. Um, so the Elizabeth Bennett uh, sort of stand-in is Zuri Benitez um, and she is an Afro-Latina who lives with her sisters and her parents in this very small apartment in this um, building in Bushwick where everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody's business, they have block parties all the time, and she loves her life. She knows, you know, that they don't have a lot of money, she knows they're not fancy, she has big dreams to go to Howard University, um, she's like one year away from applying to colleges, she's a junior, I think this is the summer between her junior and senior year um, of high school, but, but you know, she really like adores her neighborhood, she adores her neighbor, she loves her family. Um, and so she's really disappointed when this like sort of crumbling house across the street gets bought and remodeled and they've been waiting all summer to see who's going to move in. And so the Darcy family ta-da, move in across the street. Um, it is a wealthy black family with two boys named Ainsley and Darius. So you can see where this is going. Um, and her older sister, Janae, almost immediately starts falling for Ainsley, the oldest boy in the family. And she immediately cannot stand Darius, who f seems very arrogant and judgmental and, like, 
she's just like, they don't fit here. Why are they here? Every now the rents are going to go up and like our neighborhood is not going to be the same way it was. Is this the beginning of the end? Like how, like how, how dare they? Basically she feels very, how dare they? Um, and then, you know, things start to happen. She gets to know Darius a little bit better. It's all very confusing and romantic. Uh, you can see where this is going. Um, and I just thought it was so well done. I love a Pride and Prejudice retelling, but sometimes they can be a little less interesting than others. And it feels like Zaboy really, like she got into those class issues that Jane Austen was always so good at. She also has a great sense of humor. And I loved the little twists and turns like Zuri um, is a poet and there's this great sequence where she gets to do like an open mic at Busboys and Poets in DC and then you get these beautiful little wanderings of her like knowing and loving her neighborhood of Bushwick so much Um, so there's a real grounded sense of place along with this sort of romantic comedy of manners and I don't know I just thought like for me, the pitch, you know, Pride and Prejudice about gentrification in Brooklyn was enough. But, like, I think there's so much to love here. I think even if you're not, like, a huge Jane Austen fan, this is a great YA rom-com of, like, enemies to lovers. And then if you love books about you know, small neighborhoods and like small families, really in like tight small families. This is definitely one of those. There's just so much to love. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it, it felt like a quick read, but it was very media. It's like 300 pages. So it just flew by. So I, I loved it. I loved it. Um, so again, that's Pride by E.B. Zaboy. All right. Before I ask you what you're reading next, I want to tell you a few things. Oh, tell me. One, um, if you like Pride and Prejudice retellings, there is one set in modern-day Pakistan that is coming out on the 22nd of January called Unmarriageable. Ooh, there's um, also so, a Sonali Dev book coming out, too, that I have. It's called Pride and Prejudice and Other Flavors. That oh, yep. yet. yeah. That one, too. I have not read either of them, but I just remembered when you were talking about it. Um, because it is the first new book Tuesday of January because we got cheated out of a day because of New Year's. Damn you, New Year's! <laughs> um, there are like 11 million amazing books coming out today, uh, and I wanted to mention a couple uh, really quickly because these are all sequels or last books or fourth books that people will be excited to know about. Uh, one being the sequel to The Cruel Prince by Holly Black is out today. It's called The Wicked King. So excited. You should be excited. It's so good. Uh, rumor on the street, and by the street I mean the internet, is that she's not allowing galleys of the final book in the trilogy. So, you know, hold on to this one as long as you can, because you're going to have to wait a while. We're all going to have to wait. Um, the next one I want to tell you is In an Absent Dream, which is the fourth book in the Wayward Chil Children series by Shannon McGuire is out today. Also amazing. I love a tour novella. And The Winter of the Witch, which is the third book in the Winter Night trilogy, which started with The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden, is out today. Also amazing. So if you have been eagerly anticipating any of those books, congratulations. Today is the day for you. So, Jen, what are you going to read next? <laughs> I don't have an answer for this. I had so <laughs> much work reading to do over the break and I just like finished the last book on that list and I literally don't know what to pick up next. I like I have it's like I now that I it's not going to be 100% dictated by what I need to read for podcasts. I've just I'm like, "Whoa, what are books? How do they work?" Are you excited about any of those books I just mentioned? 
Um, Have you read any of the trilogies? I am I am behind on all of those all of those series. I I confess. I actually, do you know what I really want to pick up? And I'm going to try to pick up this next is Cersei by Madeline Miller. I still haven't read it. I know it came out. It was such a big deal last year, and I love her writing. I've loved her other books. I just haven't gotten to it yet. So maybe that's what will happen. That is a great choice. Yeah. What about you? Um, Well, in between flipping through the ultimate visual history of Die Hard, which I, which I picked up at, uh, at Prince because I was like, I am the worst when like, I'm like, I buy books for myself all the time, but then like at Christmas, I'm like, I'm going to buy really expensive books (laughs) for myself because it's Christmas. So yeah. So I bought like a $60 book about Die Hard. (laughs) (laughs) I deserved it. Um, I'm, but in between that, I'm going to read an orphanage of dreams stories by Sam Savage, which uh, also comes out today. Uh, I did not get to it in time to talk about it, but I hope I'll get to mention it sometime. I absolutely love him. Uh, he wrote a book called Furman, F-E-R-M-I-N, oh, yeah. several years ago, which was like a really depressing story narrated by a rat. And it was really good, but also the actual physical copy of the book had a big bite taken out of the cover, like like a rat bit it, mm-hmm. um, which was like really appealed to me. It was very clever. Um and so I just love him. So I'm really looking forward to reading this. Also, Coffeehouse Press, love them. So, um, yeah. So that's it. Nice. We made it. We made it through the show. Thank we you again. did it. <laughs> Thank you again to our sponsors, Just Once by Lori Handeland and The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict. You can find those books now wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to them in the show notes. And you can check out the Read Harder Journal. Go to bookriot.com slash readharderjournal. I also bought myself one of those at Print Bookstore. Nice. <laughs> I'm out of control. Uh, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. Uh, if you want to find us, where do you want people to find you in the new year, Jen? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. All right. I've been spending most of my time on Instagram. You can find me there at Franzen Comes Alive. Uh, and if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today, we have to get reading. So you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.